So we're in Luke chapter 13 again this week. If you will, grab your Bible or whatever you're using and head over to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Uh, And just a reminder, last week we were seeing Jesus warning the crowds with those words, repent or perish um, of their sin. And, And he told this parable about the fruitless fig tree. Right, that had another another year basically before it could it needed to produce some fruit, otherwise it would be cut down, uh, and that's part of that comparison. Our our passage this week, though, uh, we've seen them all connecting, right, one after another, one after another. This time it's a bit more of a a, a scene change. We're at a different day, we're at a different location. Of course, the same uh, Jesus, our Lord. And so let's go ahead and uh, read the passage, and then we will unpack it afterwards. So we're going to read the whole thing today, uh, Luke. Chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the, on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the, on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to the water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in in Jesus is the fullness of God. In Jesus, we see that you are merciful, and Jesus is our hope and our joy. Lord, help us this morning to understand these eight verses of your holy word. Enlighten our minds to learn from you and to be changed by the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so Jesus is in this Jewish synagogue. It's a place, uh, a Jewish place to come together for worship and to learn from God's word. It's similar to what we understand as a Sunday morning worship service today. And Luke writes in verse 11 there, you see it, behold, right? which means pay attention. Behold, there's something to see here. And and what are we to pay attention to? We're to pay attention to this this woman that is in the room with him. And why are we to behold this woman? We are to behold her because something is very wrong with this woman, and Jesus intends to make something very right with this woman. That's what we're beholding here. And so as the uh, the woman, uh, as we behold this woman then, what we would see is someone who is very obvious, very outwardly uh, has a disease that has been crippling her. But it's not just a disease, is it? This woman has a disabling spirit. Now, the scriptures are very clear that most disease is not caused by demon possession. In fact, we're going to see at the beginning of verse 14 when we get there, another person who Jesus is going to heal of a disease. And in this case, it's not related to demons at all. But in this case of this particular woman, she is in bondage to a demon. And I, I know we like to label things. We, we like to see in the scriptures like this and be able to say, uh, here's what it is by our modern understanding of things. This, this woman has muscular dystrophy or she has ALS or, or something that we can put a name on and make sense out of in that way. But we can't do that here because um, 
we, we really don't know what's going on in any great detail. It might be a muscular thing. It might be a skeletal thing. It might be something else that we don't understand. But it is certain of this, this much, that whatever disease she has has absolutely affected every aspect of her life. And it's easy to overlook this, but sleep. You can imagine how difficult just sleep would have been for her. How difficult it would have been to do uh, work that she was doing. How difficult it would have been for her to make relationships with people. Uh, Particularly as you understand that people with disease in this age, people were afraid to touch them. They didn't know what contagious was, but they feared that closeness that somehow they might get what she has. We don't know her age. We have no clue what it is, but uh, this has been her life for 18 years. That much we do know. And to put that in perspective, it'd be like you being unable to actually straighten your body for 18 years would put you back to the year 2002. For some of you, that's your entire life. Uh, But for others of you, you can remember, you know, that's a long time ago. The fact that she's in a synagogue, though, tells us something about her heart towards God that she's even there to begin with. Because let's be honest, it it would be really easy for her to skip this gathering of God's people, to just not go. Nobody would have argued with that. It would have been an absolutely understandable reason to do so. Um, J.C. Ryle, who you know I quote from a lot because I really enjoy his writing. J.C. Ryle comments on her uh, being at worship, and he says this. He says, our feelings about Sunday are a sure test of the state of our souls. He also says this woman puts most of us healthy people to shame. Since she's there, right, worshiping God with all these infirmities that she might have, well, most of us, when we are healthy, are, are, are willing to skip worshiping with the people of God simply because maybe we stayed up too late or we have a lot to do later that day or, or what other lame excuse we come up with uh, that is more lame than this woman who is literally lame. And why? Be- because... This is J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle says, because we don't really value worshiping the Lord in the same way this woman does. That's supposed to be an encouragement. I know it might feel like uh, a guilt trip, right? It's supposed to be an encouragement, and, and, and that's the way it's intended. Um, so, there, so she's there, and, and even if everyone in that room might overlook her, right? She's a woman. She's in the corner. She's sick. It would have been easy for a lot of people to overlook her. Not only does the Lord Jesus see her, But Jesus calls her over to himself, and you can imagine that the room fell silent to watch this, right? All eyes are on her as she crosses over to this this man who is a a well-known miracle worker at this point. And and Jesus, you know, what's he going to do? You know, uh, I wonder at this moment what went through her mind. Was she afraid that she was in trouble? If I'm honest, that's, that's what I would have been thinking, like, what does he want with me? What did I do? Or, or is she embarrassed? Why, why is he calling me out? I, I don't want people looking at me. I, you know, I, I kind of wonder what was she wondering in this moment. And wh- whatever it was, she responds to the call of Jesus. He calls her over there and she goes. And he says to the woman, woman, you are freed from your disability. It, it was rare at this point in history that, that anyone would touch a disabled person, as I've already mentioned. It was even rarer that a rabbi, right? Rabbis usually refuse to touch any woman at all. And yet here is Jesus, who, who is a rabbi, and he compassionately lays his hands on this woman. Maybe her head, maybe her shoulders, we don't know, but immediately this woman is healed from her disease. All these many years of disability and with one compassionate touch of our Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the devil is undone forever completely undone. 
I mean, can you picture her crumpled body at this, this moment? I don't know if you've, you've taken the time to even imagine in your, your head what it looks like, but, but just her, her body actually straightening up, her, 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 her gaze being able to look up at Jesus finally, something she hadn't been able to do for 18 years. And, and what's her response there? It's exactly what you'd expect, right? She glorifies God. She glorifies God. And there's, there's no description of what this glorifying God looks like, you know, uh, it, it all kind of depends, right? Maybe she praises God outwardly because of this miraculous healing in her life, just a praise God, praise God, something excited and, and, and loud like that. But, but maybe she's silent and, and her heart simply swells in love and gratitude and joy to the Lord for this work he's just done in her life. Whatever it is, she, she knows this is the work of God and she gives glory to God for it. And you and I may not be suffering disease because of some demon possession, right? It's easier to pass this off and, and just, who cares about this? This is not me. But it's not uncommon to find ourselves enslaved or feeling enslaved to some sin, pride and arrogance or lust and greed or, or maybe something completely different that you just feel, you know, chained to. David Gooding says this. He says, a few, says rather, few men and women have bent backs physically, but morally and spiritually, all men and women, women find themselves sooner or later bent and bowed by weakness of one kind or another from which they have not the strength to free themselves. In fact, after reading this passage this week, Rodney texted me uh, saying this. He said, so many, so many times I feel bent over and not able to straighten myself. And I told him, Rodney, that's because you're old. I didn't tell him that. I would never do that. I'd tell Bill Boyce that, but not Rodney. I expect, though, that, that most of us can actually relate to that. Maybe not in some huge sin, but, but you experience in your life, even as the Lord sanctifies you, right? You, you start to notice other sins that you had never even knew were there to begin with, and you, and you start to notice those, and it can feel like you're just chained to these things. And, and, and still, I, I, I've known guys that, that can really relate to this in the sense that, that you know, they, they, they've spent more than 18 years of their life just crumpled under the bondage of pornography or alcoholism. I, I've known women who have spent most of their life discontented with their body or in pursuit of some cultural sense of perfection and just feel almost in bondage to this. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you've wasted the last 18 years bound up in some sin. And today Jesus can set you free. And I know I sound like a charismatic when I say something like that, right? I'm not charismatic, you know that. I'm not going to fire upon you, try to do anything like that, or to speak in tongues or anything of that. But, but I do have a very big view of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only to save us from our sin, but with, with the power of the Holy Spirit to unbind our, uh, to un un untie the binds of any sin that we find ourselves seemingly chained to. And, and while you can't unbind yourself, Jesus can. Here, here we see a, a merciless demon put this woman into bondage, but our merciful Lord set her free, and he absolutely can do the same for you. And Jesus sees her needs, and he sees yours as well. And I say this because don't, don't ever give up. A 18 years this poor woman suffered before this moment. If your life and your soul are committed to the Lord Jesus, there is always hope. 
So then looking back at our passage here in verse 14, we, we see it begins with that word but, and when we see the word but in Scripture, there's usually something amazing coming. There's always this contrast between, between two things going on right here, um, and, and so you know that. So always let that word kind of draw your attention to it when you're reading through the Scriptures. Something's going on. In this case, the, the contrast is between the, this woman who has just been healed, and she's glorifying God for this healing on the one hand. On the other hand is, is the leader of the synagogue who is indignant because of her being healed. Indignant. Try to work that, that word indignant into your, your vocabulary, a sentence today of some sort. Find a way to make that happen. Now, and indignant means this. He, he was annoyed in this angry sort of way. So you understand that. You, you've been that way. I, I become indignant when the person in front of me misses the light completely, the green light, because they're obviously on their phone doing something. I become indignant. Those, those are the things where we become angry in this really annoyed way. Um, but you can imagine, or rather this, can you imagine seeing a woman in your community genuinely healed of disease by the Lord that has plagued her for 18 years, and your response to that moment is to be indignant, to be annoyed at that healing, to be angry at that healing? You see, his, his issue is with the day that Jesus healed on. That would have been the excuse that he gave you. It's the excuse that he does give. You see, after the creation of the universe, God gifted his people with a day of rest every single, way, every single week, right? Work hard for six days, rest for one. Work hard for six days, rest for one. Now, until the resurrection of Jesus, that day was the last day of the week. It was the, what, what, the, what is called the Sabbath. It's what we actually refer to as Saturday. And, and since that time period, since the resurrection of Jesus, the, the, the day of rest is the first day of the week, Sunday. And, and it is such because that's the day the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. That's the day we see the early church start gathering to worship the Lord. And that's why some refer to Sunday uh, as the Christian Sabbath, right? Anyway, after the leader of the synagogue is... is, is here we see the leader of the synagogue is, is, is this just hard-heartedly opposed to the mercy of the God, at least, the mercy of God at least in this context. And, and he's also an absolute coward because you notice he doesn't respond to Jesus, right? Not, not directly to Jesus, despite Jesus being right there in front of him, but in this more passive-aggressive-like manner, he opposes Jesus by, by chastising the crowd, Right? for coming for healing, and by, by really chastising this poor woman who, if you notice, at no point actually asks Jesus to heal her, and yet that's what he gets on to her for. The, the, the man says, and, and I can only imagine, I, I, I can't help, you picture these some way, right? We all hear these words in one way when we see them written on the page, and, and when I hear these words, I just picture like Snape, and that Snape-like bitterness as he says that, you know? I can't do the impression well, but impersonation, but there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. There's just this bitterness in this moment. You see, he's, he's not entirely wrong with those words, and that's why it might be really kind of annoying to hear them, because the Sabbath is the day that God set apart and commanded his people to rest from work on. 
And, and there's that question, could she have been healed on the next day? And on one sense, in some sense, yeah, she probably could have been healed the next day because she's had this 18 years. This is, this is a condition that's not life-threatening. No one would have called the 911 at this point. It could have been dealt with at a later point. And, and so it raises that question, why did Jesus heal her in this moment on the Sabbath? And we get that answer when we see Jesus' response to that leader in verse 15 in front of you. Uh, look at that. Jesus says, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away and water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, from whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? I mean, do you figure out what Jesus likes to call his, well... The biggest insult he tends to throw around? You hypocrites. This is the third time in Luke we've seen him call somebody hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites in this instance because of how they treat their animals that they care about compared to how they will treat another person, particularly this woman who is under their, their leadership, their care. Now, we'll, we'll look at that further. But first, do you, do you notice what Jesus doesn't say in his response? This is important. He, he doesn't say... Who cares about the Sabbath? Forget it. It's Old Testament. It's gone. Do whatever you want now. Who cares? He, he doesn't say that. In no way does Jesus negate the Sabbath as a command and as a gift of our Heavenly Father. And instead, he, he, he wipes away this man-made facade that has been built upon this command, this gift of the Lord, right? This, this legalistic facade that's, that's been built on top of God's good gift. You see, Jesus is pointing out here that, that the Sabbath is a good day to do mercy. And Jesus can say this because, as we saw back in Luke 6, 5, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Son of God. He, he is God. He's divine. He, he knows God's intentions in this good gift of the Sabbath. He understands why it was given. And, and God never intended the Sabbath to prevent us from acts of mercy unto others. The Mishnah. Anyone, any of you ever heard the word Mishnah? One person. Jim back there. Okay. Uh, the Mishnah. It's this, this old Jewish document that, that, that was written to interpret God's law, and it added up all these extra things on it, right? This is, this is like when you see policies written. They, they start to spread until no one can move hardly. Um, and, and it's written there. And, and in this it said, since animals still need to drink water, even on the Sabbath, that it's okay on the Sabbath if, if you want to untie your animal from where they're tied up and lead them to the water so they can get some water and drink so you can actually take care of them. However, when you do this, you can't carry anything with you. Otherwise, that's work. So you can't carry buckets with you. You can't carry scrolls with you. You have to leave your iPhone back at the manger, the house, wherever it might be. All those things, you can't carry them with you. Now, it also said that a person, uh, assuming there's a bucket at the water, that you could not hold that bucket and let the animal drink out of it, or that would be work. However, you could fill the bucket with water and, and then fill up the, the trough for the animal to drink out of. And, and I tell you that so you just start to get a little picture of all these weird little uh, detailed rules that they have. Now, keep in mind, everything I just told you, right, this is not from Scripture. It's not from God's Word. That's not where we find it. It's only found in this, this set of rules that the Jewish leaders had created, ultimately. Here's what God actually commanded, commands in Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. See, the leaders at this time believe Jesus healing this woman is, an, is a work, that that's what he's done. And Jesus' response is, is, is essentially healing her is not work, that this is an act of kindness, it's an act of mercy to her. Jesus does not violate the fourth commandment. He, he simply disregards this legalistic Jewish law at the time that had been added or built on top of God's law. And, and so Jesus is showing us this from this passage, right? First thing, legalistic rules have no binding on God's people. Roman Catholic indulgences at the time of the Reformation, not binding. Mid-century forbidding of dancing and movies and, and drinking alcohol, not binding. Current Roman Catholicism, right, that forbids eating meat on Fridays during Lent, that's not a command of God, so feel free to go load your plate with burgers and bacon, or burgers and bacon, which is preferable, and enjoy it. These are not binding things, okay? The, the second thing Jesus is teaching us is that the Sabbath is a great time for people in spiritual bondage to be set free from that bondage. That's why her healing really could not wait till the next day, right? The head of the synagogue might have been there the next day, but he could not heal her. Only Jesus could. And so he's not putting it off because he's there in the moment and, and can do it then. And, and remember, Jesus cares about people's hearts. That, that's why he, he addresses this the way that he does. He's trying get, to get to the heart of the issue. He, he's showing these Jews, Jewish leaders, listen, you, you care so much about these unbiblical rules. You, you care so much about keeping what are essentially your policies, and, and yet you have failed to love this woman in the way that you should. And, and that's why he gives this argument, which, by the way, is, is generally just referred to as a lesser to the greater argument, right? If this lesser thing is true, then this how much more is this greater thing true? And we've seen that often in Jesus' uh, teaching. It, it, so he's saying this, if you don't consider it work to care for your animals on the Sabbath, how much more is it not work to care for a sister of the covenant here in your community on the Sabbath? And Jesus make, makes the comparison. Honestly, your, your English Bibles are amazing. Trust them. But there's one little de detail here that, that is seen even, even better when, when you understand what's going on in the Greek. In verse 15 there, look at your Bibles. Do, do you see that word untie? Uh, it, it, as far as the Greek words are considered, that's the exact same Greek word that you see in verse 16 that is translated be loosed. Be loosed and tied are the exact same thing here. Okay, and so he's making that comparison that if you'll, if you'll untie your animals, how much more, spiritually speaking, ought you to untie this woman? He's using the same word so that we catch on to that. And, and so it becomes so clear, right, that they care more about animals than they do this woman, woman who is made in God's image. And, and Jesus here calls the woman by a name that no one else in all of Scripture has ever referred to. He calls her daughter of Abraham. Daughter of Abraham. Later in Luke 19, when, when Zacchaeus, remember the wee little man? Uh, when, when Zacchaeus comes to faith in Jesus, Jesus is going to refer to him after that as a, a son of Abraham. And you can get into what all that means, and we, we always do a baptism and stuff. But, but Jesus' point here in this instance is that she, she's in the covenant. She, she has faith in Christ who's standing before her, and she's, she's in this covenant. She's, she's converted to, what, you know, to Christianity. Her faith is in Jesus. 
And, and so what, Je- what Jesus did for this woman is, is, is this foretaste of what we're going to see him do to all of creation, what we're going to see him, him do for all of us, right, who are united to him in faith. He's, he's going to restore and heal and put all things right. And we long for that day. We should long for that day. Because you all know someone who's suffering with some disease of some sort. And, and just to know that one day these things will all be put right. And so we long for that with a certain hope. When disabling effects of the, of the curse of sin will be forever, ever gone. And, and we'll worship Jesus fully. And just what a glorious future we have. Now, the last thing we, we see here in verse 17 is how the two different groups respond to this healing. Uh, first, we learn that all his adversaries were put to shame. That's good. That's the first thing you want to see, right? That they're put to shame by what Jesus says. Whether it's worldly grief or whether it's godly grief, we don't know. It's not revealed to us here. But, but, but they know how shameful it was for them to care so much about their animals and to care so little about this woman in their midst. The second thing we read is that all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. When we see God has set people free from bondage to sin, when we see that, when we see that God brings people to faith in Jesus and brings them into the covenant family, let us rejoice. We probably rejoice too little when something amazing like that happens, when, when God redeems people, we need to be rejoicing gloriously when we see that. Um, when we see men and women that are set free from particular sin, sinful habits in their life, let us also rejoice. Let us rejoice and praise God for, for what he's done for them and in them and through them. Now, before we finish up, I do want to give you two simple applications of this passage. Uh, and the first one is this. Pray for understanding of the Sabbath. We're not going into the Sabbath in any great detail today. We have before. It, it is a gift of the Lord for you. Um, and, and we've seen people approach it uh, in, in such legalistic ways that your view of the Sabbath might, might really feel more like a burden than a gift. Kind of the, you know, here's your free gift. No, thank you. Please stop knocking on my door kind of free gift. Uh, but again, it, it is truly a gift of the Lord who made you and knows you and knows what you need. And so pray for understanding of, of the Christian Sabbath and, and how it can be a day of rest for you and a day of rest for your family, both physically and mentally, and, and, and then a time for you to be nourished spiritually. And the second application is this. Listen, Jesus is not just an example for us. That's a, a liberal way of looking at, theologically liberal way of looking at uh, the scriptures and Jesus. But um, Jesus is not, is not just an example for us, but he's our savior. But he is also is an example for us. And, and we, we can't miss that, right? And, and so let's, let's look for ways to be merciful in the same way we see our Lord being merciful for, for others, right? You're, you're not going to be able to do things in the same way he does, but you can be merciful, you see, it's, it's so easy for us to read this and to see these Jewish leaders, and they're so obviously the bad people in this story, right, that, that we don't want to be like them. It's so easy for us to just condemn their, their, their callousness to the needs of this woman, and, and yet, what about us? Are, are we hard-hearted or callous to the needs that God has placed in our path, that the needs of God has placed, of people placed in our life? You think of your, your co-workers or your neighbors. Do you, do you see their need for Jesus and is there compassion for them? Is there a, a desire to, to see them set free from their, 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 well, their lack of Jesus, set free from their sin? Or, or how about this one? What, what goes through your mind when you drive past the, the homeless guy with the sign? 
What, what is the emotion you feel? Are, are you indignant towards that man, that woman, assuming they're lying? Because it's true, you know it. Some of them are absolutely lying. Do you, do you just assume they're, they're lazy, and lazy and need to go get a job? I mean, there, there's so many things that might go through our, our, mo- our heads in that moment. When I was uh, in, in high school, growing up in Houston, we had, we call them panhandlers there. Um, and there were so many, almost every corner, there's someone with a sign once you get into the, sign, in the city. And, and when I was a senior in high school, a few friends of, I, of mine and I decided we're going to go and, and join those people. This was not a good thing, um, what we were doing. We had our own sign, and our sign said, Why lie, need prom money. And it was a playoff, some other guy's sign we saw that said, Why lie, need a beer. Um, who one of my friends says was the most honest guy he'd seen. Um, anyway, it, it wasn't a nice thing we did in that sense. We went out there and did that. People in their cars thought it was hilarious, which tells you something of the general population. Uh, and they gave us money in quantities you just wouldn't believe. A, a couple of hours on three, four days maybe, and in, in one given week, I, I personally received over $1,000 in cash from strangers because of a dumb sign I'm holding up. Uh, the other thing that happened as we did this, though, was actually got to know these homeless people that were standing next to us. Some of them thought we were funny and were like, you know, more power to you. And some of them were incredibly angry at us because they rightly saw that we were mocking them for the sake of having prom money, something we didn't really need. More than anything, what I learned that week out there with these people was that, that they're people. I honestly don't know that I've looked at them that way before. And yes, like all people, some of them were lazy and just there to, because it was easy. Other of them had real needs financially, physically. Uh, most of them had needs mentally. But, but these are people, and, and, and maybe they don't need your money so they can go buy a 40 of Jack, but they do need to be treated as humans. Now, now listen, this is not some guilt trip. You, you, you know, I don't want you to, next time you're in a city to think, I can't drive past this person without giving them money, right? I, I have to give them money or I'm not merciful. I don't want to be that. If that were the case, you couldn't drive through a city ever. You would just be handing money out your window constantly. And, but, I, but I tell you this, and here's where I want you to think about it. Have you ever helped anyone in that kind of situation? Have you ever helped someone where you judge something that they're doing to be wrong and therefore easy to dismiss them. I think when we read a passage like this, we, we want to consider what, what challenge the Lord might be issuing to us th- through the passage, right? What, what, what assumptions or, or resentments of, of others might you need to repent of if you're going to show the mercy in the way the Lord might call you to? And so I'll ask you, what, what if this month you offered to buy something or to provide something for, for one person you see in need. Not because you deem them worthy. But just because God has shown so much mercy to you. That's the only reason. And again, I'm not just talking about homeless people. That's an example. It could be a, a relative. It could be a friend. It could be someone in this covenant community whose needs you know about. At the heart, I'm, I'm asking this, does the, does the grace and the mercy of God to you in the gospel, does that overflow in, in grace and mercy towards others? And it, it's okay to offer mercy on the Lord's day, if, you know, that's one thing we see here. And I know you kind of know that. I, I say that particularly, there was a, a time, a church Laura and I were at, where uh, there was a lady that sold tamales, and she was from Mexico, she didn't speak 
real good English at all. Uh, she had children. She had great needs. And I can remember Laura buying some of these tamales from her. I love the tamales. Laura just wanted to, to help her out. She's more merciful that way. I'm hungry. Um, and, and the woman brought the tamales to church, and Laura gave her the money on church. And there was a, a woman in that church who, said, who told her, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I should have asked you beforehand. Um, you're going to get struck by lightning. Something along those lines of you can expect the judgment of God because this is the Sabbath, this is the Lord's day, and, and you were having a transaction going on. And it really wasn't about the transaction. It was about this lady needs money and, and a way to, to provide for her that way. Uh, you can do mercy on the Lord's day. It's not work. Okay? And maybe, maybe the Lord will give you the opportunity on your way home today. I, I hope that happens to some of you. Maybe he'll bring someone in need across your path at work this week. Maybe, you, maybe you'll, you'll do so even by just inviting a friend to, to come worship the Lord with you next Sunday, right? Thinking they need Christ. Take them where they can hear the gospel. Take them where, where God's people are joyfully worshiping them. You know, always remembering that you, you and I, we can't set people free from bondage to sin. We can't people, set people's hearts free. But we can bring them to Jesus. We, we can bring them where they'll, where they'll hear the truth and song and liturgy and preaching and the Lord's Supper and all those aspects. And, and where they can meet people, and this is significant, where they can meet people like you and me who have received the mercy of God. Who know what it's like. And, and finally, let's, let's remember every single day, including the Lord's Day, is a day, a good day for mercy. Let's pray. Father, you will set all things right. You will restore our bodies and our minds and all of creation. We ask that you'd give us eager expectation of that day and yet teach us to here and now be merciful and kind like you. To show mercy to those who need mercy and to protect those who need protection, and to glorify you for every new helping and mercy we receive from your hand. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.